The peace of Christ be with you. Welcome to worship at Westminster. As we settle in, I invite you to slow down and take two or three deep breaths and be reminded that you're being gathered into the presence of the living spirit. Friends, in joy and praise, let us worship God. We're going to sing again to our tune once, but for the second time around, I invite you all to join us as we feel led. in body or spirit and join me in the call to worship. We come to seek the living presence. Hear to us, O Christ, in our worship and prayer. We come to seek assurance. Stay with us until our trust grow. We come to seek guidance. Show us
So I want to welcome you here to Westminster, especially if you're a visitor, a special welcome to you. I invite you after worship out onto our patio on this lovely spring day for coffee, tea, a chance to get to know each other just a little better. Let's join now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. We sit in a season of... Prayers continue in quiet. Friends, know that the risen Christ often reaches out to us in unexpected ways. Even in those times when you are struggling to be forgiving or to be loving, even then God loves and God forgives. Know that through Jesus Christ we continually are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the kids who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Good morning, everyone. Do any of you know this book? It's called Down by the Cool of the Pool. No? Oh, good. I get to introduce a new book to you. That's great. Y'all can sit down. No problem. So, later in worship, um, our adults are going to hear a story from the Bible, and it ends with all kinds of people getting baptized. I think 3,000 people, the story says. And I'm thinking in my head, wow, I bet that was quite a party. 3,000 people getting baptized, probably water going everywhere, and people just filled with the, God, with the love of God, reminded as we are when we're baptized or when anyone is baptized of how much God loves us. So I was thinking about what this party might look like with all this water and all this baptism, and this book came to mind, and I wanted to share it with you. So it's down by the cool of the pool in the cool of the day. Frog cried, Wee! Can you dance like me? There's a frog dancing there. Duck came to see, I can dance too, but not like you. I can flap. So duck went flap, and frog cried, Wee! Can you dance like me? Down by the cool of the pool. Pig came to see, I can dance too, but not like you. I can wiggle. So pig went wiggle, duck went flap, and frog cried, Wee! Can you dance like me? Down by the cool of the pool. Sheep came to see, I can dance too, but not like you. I can stamp. 
So sheep went stamp, pig went wiggle, duck went flap, frog cried, wee, can you dance like me down by the cool of the pool? Then up sprang cat with a sudden bound, and dog came frisking round and round, goat butted in with a skip and a hop, frog cried, wee, that's great, don't stop. Then playful pony began to prance, donkey drummed his hoofbeat dance, but when it came to capering cow, frog cried, wow, all together now. With a stamp and a wiggle and a flap and a wee, the animals danced so joyfully, till with a bump and a slip and a trip and a crash and a whoops, watch out, and a topple and a splash. Into the pool, they flapped and they flopped, but they didn't stop. Oh, no, oh, no, they cried, oh, and whoop, and we come see, and oh, he, he, we're having fun, dancing our dance in the cool of the pool. And they splished and they splashed till their dance was done. Then away they drifted and down went the sun, as there by the cool of the ripply pool with a hop, hop, plop, even Frog was gone. Now, I think I first heard of this book when my son, who is now almost 10, was little bitty. But it has stayed with me. And even as a 41-year-old, I love this book because I love how they each come bringing their own dance, right? None of the animals dance the same. But yet they just come and share their joy and share their love with each other, however it is that they want to do it. And I imagine that that time when all those people were getting baptized was a little bit like that. And I hope as we go out into our lives this week, we can all be a little like that, right? Just bring your dance, whatever it might look like. Bring others into the dance, whatever their dance might look like. And we can all dance for joy together about how much God loves us. Amen. So I invite you now to follow Cindy, who's standing right back there, and she'll take you to Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love One of the ways we take care of each other in this church is to share our joys and concerns so we can check in and hold one another in prayer. So if anybody has a joy or concern, just hold up your hand. Speak nice and loudly. Bruce. Oh, amen. Yeah. Tomorrow, uh, Bruce is six years cancer-free, so we celebrate with you. Others. Yeah, please, see soon. A friend who um, lost a husband suddenly a week ago. Yeah, hold that family in prayer. Others? Yeah, Roberta. Yeah, prayer for friends who lost their son suddenly this week of a heart attack. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, many of you... Thank you, Peter. Many of you may have read in the IJ that Sandra Masson's husband died this week after a long um, time with Alzheimer's. Yeah, we certainly hold her in prayer. Others? 
Yeah, please. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is final season for colleges and graduate schools, and so we hold that angst into the light, and we pray that we won't contribute to it, but we'll be voices of calm June. Yeah. Yeah, Mildy's ready for her annual trip to uh, the motherland, to Italy, and... Uh, so we pray a wonderful time for her. Jim. Well, after finals, there comes graduation. <laughs> and that... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, Nikki will be graduating from college next week, along with many others, and we celebrate with you, and we know that brings its own kind of angst with it, so... Uh, we hold all those people in prayer. Let's, um, oh, Marsha. Oh, good. If you couldn't hear, uh, Marsha and Bob, who's been coming for some time now, will be married at the end of the summer, and we celebrate with both of you. Congratulations. Let's hold all those things in prayer, and some quiet first. Gracious one, receiving one. We lift up our hearts to you filled with joy and celebration. Also filled with tenderness and brokenness for the pain we experience in ourselves and around us. We trust you to receive all of that, to transform it and to transform us in the process. We pray these things in the name of the risen one, Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Today's first reading is from Acts 2. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks The second reading comes from the letter of First Peter, the first chapter, verses 17 to 23. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways from inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring Word of God. Friends, this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The middle school invited a Buddhist monk to spend some time with them and show the students the process of creating a a sand mandala. Have you ever seen those before from that tradition? Those who will listen to this later at home, if you just Google San Mandala, something will come up that will be worth seeing. Uh, I'll show some of you some pictures here. You can see from where you're sitting. They're quite beautiful. It's all made with tiny grains of sand. The the purpose is to promote uh, purification and healing. A couple other images here that you can see. They're quite vibrant in color. The design is incredibly intricate. You can imagine 
the kind of detail work it takes to create them. Here you see some monks working with some fine tools. Occasionally you'll see them working with surgical maths, masks because their very breath could disturb them. This is another picture of a tool being used to create that. If, if you know anything about that, you know what happens at the end, right? What they do to preserve them for all time. Uh, nothing is the answer. This is what happens not long after they finish them. And they just brush them away. I think in the, in the school I mentioned, what the monk did was, it was, took, um, was able to take it down to the river and he just blew it into the wind. Now that flies in the face of so much of what we aspire to in our, in our culture. Um, making something lasting, uh, building monuments to ourselves or to ourselves through the things that we care about. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was obsessed with becoming famous. Uh, the first service laughed at that. You clearly see that I've made it. <laughs> you know I have arrived. Uh, but there was something wrapped up in uh, permanence there, in immortality. But of course, one of the lessons of the San Mandala and one of the key teachings in the Buddhist tradition is impermanence. And we know all too well that things can just be blown away in an instant, that nothing is promised. This week we received an email from the presbytery about one of our dear colleagues, Sharon Latour, serving out at uh, Stinson in Bolinas. And uh, she had been otherwise healthy, but then all of a sudden came down with some throat symptoms and went, uh, ended up in the ER. And very quickly they figured out that it was cancer. And, and a day or two later, we got another email. She was going home from the hospital to be put on hospice. It was an aggressive form of cancer. And in fact, Stan Stanford said they'd never seen it progress this fast before. So a family comes in to do what family does and loved ones do, to sit by the side of their loved one and make sure they know that they love them and to dab their head with a wet cloth and to take one of those swabs and dip it in the ice chips and wipe their lips until they're gone. And the very next morning, we got another email saying Sharon had died. All of that took place from the visit until her death in two weeks. It's just fast. What we've been given is so precious. It's been exactly two weeks since Easter, and it's a precious time in the church's calendar. It's this time when after Jesus has raised from the dead, and, and his people are experiencing him in strange ways as still there, and he hasn't left yet for good, which he does in what we call the ascension, right? Leaving us with the Spirit, but ascending to another realm. It's a precious time in the church. Imagine what it was like to be those disciples. They put all their hope in this one. He was their teacher, but yet he was even more than that. And, and even though he alluded to what was coming, they didn't quite catch it because it was hard to make sense of what he was talking about. And then he was gone, taken from them, executed. He 
was gone. But then they get this gift, the gift that we seem never to get. He comes back. And he spends time with them. And Scripture describes in detail a couple of those appearances, but mentions that there were many more showing up to the people who loved him, maybe to strangers who never knew him. Often surprising people. I half imagine Jesus being a practical joker and the people are kind of sitting around having a meal. Maybe even they're worshiping or they're praying, which sort of summons his presence. And then when he comes through a wall, hi guys, Jesus! (laughs) Stop doing that! But of course they don't want him to stop doing that. They never want him to stop doing that. They want him to stay forever. It's not the gift they would have wanted, but somehow it's enough. It's it's Christ's way of saying to them, I'm still with you. And what we were about together, it, it still matters. And no matter what happens, you're still going to be okay. And somehow, that's enough. Do we know that? Do we know that that Christ is with us? And do we know that the work we're about, which isn't all work, of course, that it matters? And do we know deep down, no matter how afraid we get, that it will be okay? Whatever okay means. It's easy to forget that from time to time. I felt a little bit like a monk myself the week after Easter, I literally moved out of my home into an apartment at the seminary so I could write morning to night on my dissertation. And I felt like I was building something one piece of sand at a time, though I I can't profess that my dissertation will be as beautiful as one of those mandalas. And I have to say, more than once, I thought, what is this all for? I'm going to finish this thing, God willing, and then, God willing, it'll be approved, and then it will sit on a shelf to gather dust for all time. Seven years in the making. For what? Do you ever feel that way? I mean, it doesn't have to be a research project. It could be anything in your life. It could be you're at home with your child, and and, uh, you start the day uh, with a semi-clean house, and you feel as though you spend your entire day chasing them, picking up what they cast off, uh, trying to entertain them, cooking and cleaning in between all the chaos, and at the end of the day, they melt down, resent you, and the house looks worse than when you started. Do you ever feel that way? Or you find some relationship and you, and you pour everything into it and, it and it feels so right until it doesn't anymore and it's gone. Or maybe a job that, that, you, that you really think defines who you are until it doesn't. Or even worse, it still does and it doesn't want you anymore and you're gone. Do you ever feel that way. It's, it's hard to see when you're in the middle of the building, uh, the beauty. Do you know how long Jesus' public ministry lasted? Uh, shorter than my time at Westminster so far. Now, those of you on personnel, please do not measure me by that standard. But the Gospel of John records three Passover celebrations during his ministry. The other Gospels, only one. So Jesus' ministry was no longer than three years, or I guess no longer than four, technically, and could have been as short as one single solitary year. 
all the other time of his life, from the time he was 12, which is the last story we have in Scripture that we've accepted at least, until he's about 30, all that time, preparation, building, training, studying, questioning, finding himself, losing himself, that thankless work of becoming, of of becoming something beautiful to offer to the world, and then when it's time to offer it to the world, he presents it out for a short period of time, and then it's gone, and we're left with the wind, literally. And yet, who among us would question that his life mattered? That what he was was important. Not just his birth, which may have been miraculous, or his death and his resurrection, but his life. The way he lived, the building, the pieces themselves were beautiful as well. Who would question that? First Peter, this letter that you heard from earlier, speaks to it in very stark terms. Uh, The author is writing to a group of people who uh, needed encouragement. They would have been among the socially and politically marginalized because of the community they had chosen and what that community stood against. And so this was supposed to be a word uplifting to them. And it reads, You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Now, I wonder how many of you grew up in the language of the precious blood of Christ. And I wonder how you felt about that language. For some, it's uh, of great comfort and assurance. I um, had a colleague, a strong Baptist woman, very spiritual woman, who'd always talk about being washed in the blood. And for her, it gave her strength power. And so if that's a powerful image for you, I have no interest in taking it away. For others, it's a troubling image. It's troubling language. Whether you're new to the church, you've been in the church a long time, people wrestle with that one. I might be able to help there. You see, context is everything when it comes to some of these images. And you have to remember in Jesus' time, one of the ways you receive forgiveness is you went to the temple and had a priest sacrifice an animal on your behalf, and then you were forgiven, okay? That's the context. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg says, to affirm Jesus being the sacrifice for sin was to deny the temple's claim to have a monopoly on forgiveness. It was a statement against that structure. It subverted the sacrificial system by using the very metaphor of sacrifice. And so to understand Jesus in those terms was to stand in defiance to the powers of the day and to say, you don't get to say who's forgiven and who's not, and you don't get to say who has access to God and who doesn't. Remember, Jesus went around all the time saying, you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. We sort of regard it as a sweet sentiment, but it was a radical statement at the time. It was a moment of intense personal healing for the person set free, and it was a profound and profoundly political statement because he was saying to the powers and his people who understood him on those terms were saying to the powers, no, 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 you don't get to control access to God and you surely don't get to charge admission. Jesus is always, always flipping the world on its head and who has the power in the world. 
Now, we get so obsessed with the blood of that passage for understandable reasons that we gloss over the other elements, but they're just as interesting. Because the teaching says, well, you weren't ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold. You were, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Silver and gold aren't perishable. It's an ironic teaching. Silver and gold last a lot longer than the opposition, which is blood. Blood can't survive at all outside the body, and even in the body it turns over, we know from modern medicine, pretty regularly. God is dealing with perishable things, but calling them imperishable. God's flipping things on their head yet again, like God always does. And, and, and God doesn't stop with blood. What's the other passage you heard earlier today? It's from Acts. And here, this is, happens after Jesus has ascended, and the people are wondering what to do, and the disciples come to Peter and say, Peter, what do we do next? And he says, what? Go out and baptize. Water. Not gold and silver, blood and water. These are the elements that usher in the kingdom, the realm, the way of being. That is God's way of being. Not flags, not swords, blood and water. It's remarkable. It's what Jesus is made out of. None of that other stuff that we think is powerful Remember what happens to him when he's on the cross and they pierce him to speed his death? You remember what comes out? Blood and water. This one that we so love, that we, uh, in this tradition, worship, that we follow, that we claim is the one, the clearest manifestation of the divine in flesh, was made with fragile parts. And it's in his fragility that he finds his power and his beauty, and his strength. Because Jesus, in so many words, is a sand mandala. Crafted beautifully over time for the, for the sake of purification and healing. Healing of the sickness of his time and the corruption of his time. That's what the purification was for. And yet offers healing for the sickness of our time. And the pur- purification of the corruption of our time. And he was able to do it because he didn't spend his whole life trying to build a monument. He allowed it to be laid grain after grain after grain, knowing what would come. Scripture says he knew it all along how it was going to end, that it would all be blown away in an instant, and it didn't slow him down. In fact, it's in his very surrender to his perishability that he unleashes eternity for all of us. Because actually, in the release of our hold on permanence, in the letting go, something else beautiful happens. The very wiping away can be beautiful too because it paves the way for reconstitution into something even yet more beautiful. We might call that resurrection. And in this sacred time between Easter and the Ascension, when Christ is said to be with us in a special way, we are invited into resurrection lives with him. To, like he did, appear anew, show up to people, show up and be present to what is before you, fully inhabiting it. 
to not getting too far ahead of ourselves into, into what's going to happen then and what if and what if that doesn't happen, but to stay exactly where we are in this moment, fully inhabiting it, trusting the divine presence is here too, knowing that that will be the best way to prepare for the next moment when it comes. To live in that resurrection time where we recognize the way others are appearing to us. Others who are also a reflection of the divine presence. Also a reflection of the resurrection. Oh sure, some of us have scars that are fresher than others. Wounds that may still be bleeding, but all somehow a reflection of the resurrection. To recognize and to dip into that reservoir that is available to us at all times to know that we are not alone and that what we are about matters and the baptismal waters never run dry and therefore we can do what needs to be done. We can stand up and face those things that need to be opposed and say no and stand with those things that need to be affirmed and say yes. And to spend our lives building just piece by piece just a grain here and there, but being able to simultaneously step back and see the beauty in the midst of the building, not waiting till the end to enjoy it. If Jesus' life mattered, then ours do too. And the way we build them matters, even if you can't see it. My dissertation will undoubtedly be on a shelf in a few months gathering dust, but I won't be, hopefully, And insofar as it helps craft me into something that somehow reflects something beautiful to the world, then it was all worth it. Every keystroke, every year, all of it was worth it. So long as we build our lives out of the things that Christ built his life out of, love, forgiveness, compassion for the suffering, solidarity with the poor, integrity, presence. Those things are priceless, unlike silver and gold. And yet they're free. And we'll know what's really valuable. We will all know it that one day when we sit in that unenviable seat and yet holiest of seats next to a loved one whose lifeblood is draining away, We'll know as we dip the swab and wipe their lips, refreshed by ice chips, frozen water, what's really important. In the death of Christ comes new life for all. And in our realization of our ending becomes our new beginning. Amen.
This time I invite forward those uh, who will be ordained and or installed into service as officers of this congregation and our clerk who happens to be our lector today, Susan Burkow. So your congregation can see you. These folks have agreed to serve either as an elder or a deacon for a three-year term, renewable once. Okay, Madam Clerk. Speaking for the people of the church, I bring Bill McLeod, Evelyn Sayers, Sharon Terrell, and Walt Traver to be ordained and installed as elders. I bring Isun Beer, Bruce Nelson, Diane Newman, John Trotter, and Sandra Iacopucci to be ordained and installed as deacons. We know a couple of you have already been ordained, so you're only being installed, but we wanted you to get the full treatment. <laughs> we have some constitutional <laughs> questions for all of you. Most of them you'll share in. There's one special one for the elders and one for the deacons, and we will alternate in offering them. So first, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If so, please say, we do. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and God's word to you? So please say we do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? If so, please say, we do and we will. Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? So please say, we will. Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? So we say we will. Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? If so, please say we will. 
Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? If so, please say we do. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? If so, please say we will. And to the deacons, will you be a faithful deacon teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need? In your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? If so, please say we will. And for the elders... Will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in councils of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? If so, please say we will. Madam Clerk. Do we, members of the congregation, Accept these people chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? We do. Do we agree to encourage and respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Now is the most important time of this um, moment in the service where we bless them as a people. Um, it's tradition in this church that uh, the el- anybody who's ever been ordained can come forward to lay on hands. But I'd like, first of all, anybody who is currently serving on one of those boards but rolling off to come forward, if anybody is here, as sort of a literal, well, it's not literal, but a, a passing of the torch. We've got at least one, Kathy, all right. <laughs> and then anybody else who's ever been ordained to come forward for the laying on of hands. And I'll invite you all just to turn around and face the cross. And anybody who's been ordained to come forward and place a hand on the shoulder of a new officer or of somebody who is touching a new officer, and Bethany will lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, You have called these people to serve you in this household of faith and in the world. Send your Holy Spirit upon them that they may serve among us with faithfulness and compassion. Help them to be diligent in their duties, serving in hope and in gladness. Give them joy in their walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence for their work of ministry. May their example prove worthy for all of us to follow as we are united in Christ's ministry to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And you all can be seated. I encourage you to thank these folks in advance for their work and their family members for giving them up for some hours. But not just to thank them in word, but to thank them in deed, which is to say get involved in their work. They will be working with commissions, and they cannot or should not be asked to do that work alone. So please step up and come alongside them to do this work, this important work of Christ. 
I encourage you as you go from this place to take a look at your bulletin, all the announcements of events and classes that are happening. Plug in where it makes sense to you. I want to announce just one, and that is immediately following worship, you're invited to come hear the Mill Valley Mayor, Jessica Sloan, speak. She has done a lot of work around reducing mass incarceration and is here to tell us about some of the work that she's been doing. So that'll be just right in our Finley Hall. You all are invited. There will be child care if that is important to you. And now I invite you to stand and join us. All of the lyrics for this song are printed in your bulletin. And we hope that you will sing along, and not just sing along, but sing along boisterously. (coughs) It's called Put a Little Love in Your Heart. Why don't you stand as you are comfortable? Friends, and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and be with you every day. Amen. Susan. Thank you.